It is 3.23 a.m. of the 27th or 8th of April. Um, some number of weeks into quarantine, five or six, whatever it is. Uh, and because, as I mentioned this, uh, obviously, time... <clears throat> And schedules are very fluid currently. And I have been audiobooking, excuse me, the purpose of this podcast now is to use it as a platform for audiobooking public domain fiction and literature. Uh, now that we all have time to read and linking uh, the the online sources to the description with the podcast. So if you want to follow along or read it independently, uh, most of these things, uh, Project Gutenberg ones, uh, at least will have the option to easily get it to your Kindle. So you can get that. And uh, tonight's story is going to be an Edgar Allan Poe. And before I get to that, if anybody has suggestions for other things to read or wants to reach out for other reasons, you can find me on Twitter at time of posting. And that being said, tonight's or this morning's story is The Cask of Amontillado, which was published in 1847. And because I have roommates, I am going to be reading this quietly. I'm going to see what this story is like if I am emphasizing the urgency of the... We're going to see what this uh, sounds like. The thousand injuries of Fortunato I had borne as I best could when he ventured upon insult, I, but when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. You, who so well know the nature of my soul, will not suppose, however, that gave utterance to a threat. At length I would be avenged. There was a point definitely... This was a point definitely settled, but the very definitiveness with which it was resolved precluded the idea of risk. I must not only punish, but punish with impunity. A wrong is unredressed when retribution overtakes its redresser. It is equally felt as such to him who has done the wrong. Oh, sorry, it's... 
3.30ish, it is equally unredressed when the avenger fails to make himself felt as such to him who has done the wrong. It must be understood that neither by word nor deed had I given Fortunato cause to doubt my good will. I continued, as was my inn, to smile in his face, and he did not perceive that my... that my to smile? That doesn't look right. Perceive that my to smile now was at the thought of his immolation. I don't think that that sentence has been put in correctly. Also, at the is one word. Um, anywho, um, I'll figure this out when I link it in. I'll uh, note future Adam, check and find a better translation. This is Poe Museum because it was the first thing to come up but uh, link the Gutenberg. Thanks in advance. Um, the thought of his immolation. He had a weak point, this Fortunato, although in other regards he was a man to be respected and even feared. He prided himself on his connoisseurship in wine. Few Italians have the true virtuoso spirit. For the most part, their enthusiasm is adopted to suit the time and opportunity to practice imposture upon the British and Austrian millionaires. And just a reminder, this story was published in 1847. I always think uh, it's an interesting, just for, uh, for placing Poe in his time, uh, Edgar Allan Poe died before the Civil War. He was uh, lived in the first half of the 19th century for anybody who may or may not have given thought to it, but, you know, Conan Doyle and Lovecraft and other folks were very influenced by him, but uh, anywho, I think he might have been, was Andrew Jackson president for part of Edgar Allan Poe's life? That would make a interesting story or just, uh, something. Also, uh, note future Adam, check that out. And also stop with the asides already. Read the damn story. Um, he prided himself on his connoisseurship in wine. Few Italians have the true virtuoso spirit. For the most part, their enthusiasm is adopted to suit the time and opportunity to practice imposture upon, again, the British and Austrian millionaires circa 1847. Apologies for the aside, but, you know the little millionaires. In painting and gemmary, G-E-M-M-A-R-Y, uh, look that up later, Fortunato, 
like his countrymen, was a quack, but in the manner, matter of old wines he was sincere. In this respect, I did not differ from him materially. I was skillful in the Italian vintages myself, and bought largely whatever, whenever I could. It was about dusk. Uh, one evening, during the supreme madness of the carnival season, that I encountered my friend. He accosted me with excessive warmth, for he had been drinking much. The man wore motley, which, if you don't know, is sort of like a jester's costume, uh, like a court jester. He had on a tight-fitting party-striped dress that's party with an eye, like I think meaning partially striped, and his head was surmounted by the conical cap and bells. I was so pleased to see him that I thought I should never have done wringing his hand. With a W, ringing. I said to him, My dear Fortunato, you are luckily met. How remarkably well you are looking today, but I have received a pipe of what passes for Amontillado, and I have my doubts. How, said he, Amontillado, a pipe? Impossible, and in the middle of the carnival. I have my doubts, I replied, and I was silly enough to pay the full Amontillado price without consulting you in the matter. You were not to be found, and I was fearful of losing a bargain. Amontillado? I have my doubts. Amontillado! And I must satisfy them. Amontillado! And as you are engaged, I am on my way to Lucchesi. If anyone has a critical turn, it is he. He will tell me. Lucchesi cannot tell Amontillado from Sherry. And yet some fools will have it that his taste is a match for your own. Come, let us go. Whither? To your vaults. My friend, no, I will not impose upon your good nature. I perceive you have an engagement. Lucrassi, I have no engagement. Come. My friend, no, it is not the engagement, but the severe cold with which I perceive you are afflicted. The vaults are insufferably damp. They are encrusted with nitre. Let us go, nevertheless. The cold is merely nothing. Amontillado, you have been imposed upon. And as for Lucrassi, he cannot distinguish Sherry from Amontillado. Thus speaking, Fortunato possessed himself of my arm, and putting on a mask of black silk and drawing a roquelaire, it's a French word, so I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly, uh, and because I'm recording this from my phone, I can't look it up as easily if I were doing it on computer, um, drawing a rack layer closely about my person, some kind of cloak maybe, I suffered him to hurry me to my palazzo. There were no attendants at home. They had absconded to make merry in honor of the time. I had told them that I should not return until the morning, and had given them explicit orders not to stir from the house. These orders were sufficient, I well knew, to ensure their immediate disappearance, one and all, as soon as my back was turned. I took from their sconces two flambeaux, uh, 
with a bow with an X on the end. Uh, and I think it's a big candle, uh, like flames. And giving one to Fortunato, bowed him through several suites of rooms to the archway that led into the vaults. I passed down a long and winding staircase, requesting him to be cautious as he followed. We came at length to the foot of the descent and stood together upon the damp ground of the catacombs of the Montresors. The gate of my... I gotta say it, there's another podcast I did called The New Catacomb, which is Conan Doyle, and as I mentioned a little bit ago, uh, he is familiar with Poe. Um... And I don't want to interrupt the flow, but I had to. (laughs) The New Catacomb, it's another podcast of mine. Uh, Please check it out if you're enjoying this one. Uh, And enjoy the story in any case. Um, And I hope you're safely quarantined. Uh, The damp ground of the catacombs of the Montresors. The gait of my friend was unsteady, and the bells upon his cap jingled as he strode. The pipe, he said. It is farther on, said I, but observe the white webwork which gleams from those cavern walls. He turned towards me and looked into my eyes with two filmy orbs that distilled the room of intoxication. R-H-E-U-M kind of room. Nitre? he asked at length. Niter, or nitre, like I think, I don't know, I'm friggin' tired. Uh, It's 3.38 a.m. Nitre, I replied. How long have you had that cough? Uh, And then here it says, ugh, U-G-H, exclamation point, like 14 times in a row. Look at it on the page if you want. I'm not going to make the sound. But uh, but it's an interesting way to put like a hack and cough on paper. And pose in poor health sometimes. Um, my poor friend found it impossible to reply for many minutes. It is nothing, he said at last. Come, I said with decision. We'll go back. Your health is precious. You are rich, respected, admired, beloved. You are happy, as once I was. You are a man to be missed. For me it is no matter. We'll go back. You'll be ill, and I cannot be responsible. Besides, there is Lucrassi. Enough, he said. The cough's a mere nothing. It will not kill me. I shall not die of a cough. True, true, I replied. And indeed, I had no intention of alarming you unnecessarily, but you should use all proper caution. A draft of this Medoc, with a capital M, so I guess it's a kind of wine or a, a vineyard, probably. This Medoc will defend us from the damps. Here I knocked off the neck of the bottle, 
which I drew from a long row of its fellows that lay upon the mold. M-O-U-L-D. Drink, I said, presenting him the wine. He raised it to his lips with a leer. He paused and nodded to me familiarly while his bells jingled. I drink, he said, to the buried that repose around us, and I to your long life. He again took my arm, and we proceeded. These vaults, he said, are extensive. The Montresors, I replied, were a great and numerous family. I forget your arms, meaning something about the family, not forgetting the fact that the narrator has arms. <laughs> I forget your arms. A huge human foot door uh, in a field azure, the foot crushes a serpent rampant whose fangs are embedded in the heel. And the motto? Nemo me impune lassicet. Good, he said. The wine sparkled in his eyes and the bell jingled. Bells jingled and that is Latin. Nemo means no one, as in Captain Nemo who is takes on that name because of Odysseus uh, leaving the island of the Cyclops and uh, having called himself Nemo, uh, that whole thing, uh, referentials. Um, I'm not sure what Lassa said, L-A-C-E-S-S-I-T, is uh, it might be nobody will attack me with impunity, which would make sense. But uh, future Adam note, check that out um, later. Daylight, um, bells jingled. My own fancy grew warm with the Madoc. We had passed through long walls of piled skeletons with casks and punchions, uh, which is spelled like punch with E-O-N-S on the end, casks and punchions intermingling into the inmost recesses of the catacombs. I paused again, and this time I made bold to seize Fortunato by an arm above the elbow. The nitra, I said. See, it increases. It hangs like moss upon the vaults. We are below the river's bed. The drops of moisture trickle among the bones. Come, we'll go back ere it is too late. Your cough. It is nothing, he said. <coughs> Let us go on. But first, another draft of the Madoke. I pronounced however it actually is. I broke from the Madoke and reached him a flagon of de Grave. <laughs> he emptied it at a breath. His eyes flashed with a fierce light. He laughed and threw the bottle upward with a gesticulation. Uh, gesticulation, I did not understand. 
I looked at him in surprise. He repeated the movement, a grotesque one. You do not comprehend, he said. Not I, I replied. Then you are not of the brotherhood. How? Uh, you are not of the masons. Yes, yes, I said, yes, yes. You? Impossible. A mason? A mason, I replied. A sign, he said, a sign. It is this, I answered, producing from beneath the folds of my rocalaire a trowel. You jest, he exclaimed, recoiling a few paces. But let us proceed to the amontillado. Be it so, I said, replacing the tool beneath the cloak and again offering him my arm. He leaned upon it heavily. We continued our route in search of the amontillado. We passed through a range of low arches, descended, passed on, uh, and descending again, arrived at a deep crypt in which the foulness of the air caused our flambeaux rather to glow than flame. At the most remote end of the crypt appeared another less spacious. Its walls had been lined with human remains, piled to the vault overhead, in the fashion of the great catacombs of Paris. Three sides of this interior crypt were still ornamented in this manner. From the fourth side, the bones had been thrown down and lay promiscuously upon the earth. Oh forming at one point a mound of some size. Within the wall thus exposed by the displacing of the bones, we perceived a still interior crypt on recess, or a recess, in depth about four feet, in width three, in height six or seven. It seemed to have been constructed for no especial use within itself, but formed merely the interval between two of the colossal supports of the roof of the catacombs and was backed by one of their circumscribing walls of solid granite and I don't want to okay alright it was in vain that Fortunato uplifting his dull torch endeavored to pry into the depth of the recess. Its termination, the feeble light did not enable us to see. Proceed, I said. Herein is the amontillado. As for Lucrassi, he is an ignoramus, interrupted my friend, as he stepped unsteadily forward, while I followed immediately at his heels. In niche, and finding an instant, he had reached the extremity of the niche, and finding his progress arrested by the rock, stood stupidly bewildered. A moment more, and I had fettered him to the granite. And fetters uh, are like chains or shackles. In its surface were two iron staples, distant from each other about two feet horizontally. 
from one of these depended a short chain, from the other a padlock. Throwing the links about his waist, it was but the work of a few seconds to secure it. He was too much astounded to resist. Withstanding the key, withdrawing the key, I stepped back from the recess. Pass your hand, I said, over the wall. You cannot help feeling the nitre. Indeed, it is very damp. Once more, let me implore you to return. No? Then I must positively leave you. But I must first render you all the little attentions in my power. The Amontillado, ejaculated my friend, meaning, shouted, but, uh, <laughs> uh, ejaculated my friend, not yet recovered from his astonishment. True, I replied, the Amontillado. As I said these words, I busied myself among the pile of bones of which I had before spoken. Throwing them aside, I soon uncovered a quantity of building stone and mortar. With these materials and with the aid of my trowel, I began vigorously to wall up the entrance of the niche. I had scarcely laid the first tier of the masonry when I discovered that the intoxication of Fortunato had in a great measure worn off. Um... Okay. Sorry, I just keep checking the time because I don't want to. Um, no, this is a fine point, and then I don't have to worry about the end of it. The intoxication of Fortunato had worn off. As you know, this is. Uh, rather sobering shock. And we're back. It has only been a few minutes. Uh, sometimes, as you know, if you've listened to a few of these, there will be time jumps in when I've done the recordings, but it is 3.52 a.m. And as this was processing, I was just thinking, uh, I want to also mention something in one of my own stories, which uh, has an homage to this one. But firstly... Before we get to the sandbird, let's uh, get back to Fortunato and his shackles, or fetters. I had scarcely laid the first tier of the masonry when I discovered that the intoxication of Fortunato had in a great measure worn off. The earliest indication I had of this was a low moaning cry from the depths of the recess. It was not the cry of a drunken man. There was then a long and obstinate silence. 
I laid the second tier, and the third, and the fourth, and then I heard the furious vibrations of the chain. The noise lasted for several minutes, during which, that I might hearken to it with the more satisfaction, I ceased my labors and sat down upon the bones. When at last the clanking subsided, I resumed the trowel and finished without interruption the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh tier. The wall was now nearly upon a level with my breast. I again paused, and holding the flambeaux over the mason work, threw a few feeble rays upon the figure within. A succession of loud and shrill screams, bursting suddenly from the throat of the chained form, seemed to thrust me violently back. For a brief moment I hesitated, I trembled. Unsheathing my rapier, I began to grope with it about the recess, but the thought of an instant reassured me. I placed my hand upon the solid fabric of the catacombs and felt satisfied. I reapproached the wall. I replied to the yells of him who clamored. I re-echoed, I aided, I surpassed them in volume and in strength. I did this, and the clamorer grew still. It was now midnight and my task was drawing to a close. I had completed the eighth, the ninth, and the tenth tier. I had finished a portion of the last and the eleventh. There remained but a single stone to be fitted and plastered in. I struggled with its weight. I placed it partially in its destined position. But now there came from out the niche a low laugh that erected the hairs upon my head. It was succeeded by a sad voice, which I had difficulty in recognizing as that of the noble Fortunato. The voice said, Ha ha ha, he <laughs> a very good joke indeed, an excellent jest. We'll have many a rich laugh about it at the palazzo, ha <laughs> ha over our wine, ha <laughs> ha The Amontillado, I said, ha ha ha, ha ha yes, the Amontillado, but is it not getting late? Will they be awaiting us at the palazzo, the Lady Fortunato, and the rest? Let us be gone. Yes, I said. Let us be gone. For the love of God, Montresor. Yes, I said, for the love of God. But to these words I hearkened in vain for, for a reply. I grew impatient. I called aloud, Fortunato. No answer. I called again, Fortunato. No answer still. I thrust a torch through the remaining aperture and let it fall within. There came forth in return only a jingling of the bells. My heart grew sick. It was the dampness of the catacombs that made it so.
I hasten to make an end of my labor with a you. I forced the last stone into its position. I plastered it up. Against the new masonry, I re-erected the old rampart of bones. For the half of a century, no mortal has disturbed them. In passe requisiat, which I believe means rest in peace, and is a fine note to end a story on, although not a particularly fine end for poor Fortunato. And it is 4 a.m. as I finish this. The first time I read this story, I was 10 years old because I read a lot of things, and this one was definitely... Um, shout out also to Miss Baxter in fourth grade, uh, who uh, saw me with Goosebumps and replaced it with Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, I can remember the cover <laughs> of the, uh, the book she gave me of, like, whoever the fuck thought it was acceptable to do a little book of Edgar Allan Poe stories for kids. Anyway, um, yeah, it's, uh... It is indeed a hair-raising story. And one thing that I didn't take from it, and I totally did not remember, although I remember the story very clearly, was the detail that uh, of the Freemasons, which makes me think of The Man Who Would Be King by Kipling. Of course, is like the first other thing to occur. Um, but it strikes me as a really weird, funny um, note for them to invoke the Masons when the method of murder, murder, god damn it, whatever, you know, with the proper rolling intonation. Murder. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, murder most, most foul. And not even giving him that bottle of Amontillado. But, uh, that's where... We'll get to a bit of my work, which I haven't brought into. I do intend to read some of my own writing with this podcast, but not until and unless uh, there is an actual following of people outside uh, family and friends that I directly send these to. Uh, but one of the stories that 
is part of a little short story collection. I have a full draft of uh, these six stories, the first of which comes from my larger ongoing toxicity in Hollywood novel uh, star material. And this is a story called The Sandbird, which is taking place on the beach after an Oscars party. Uh, And in this story, uh, there is a a dynamic that is definitely coercive. And while Israel Merch, the character, um, that's Israel with a Z, uh, and Merch with a U, and uh, also the E and A in Israel instead of A-E, um, but while Izzy is teetotal, he doesn't drink, and uh, he absolutely doesn't drink because uh, his father was a heavy drinker, and he's one of those, um, that kind of sober. But uh, the young man who is on the beach with him, this rising star, uh, is drinking from a bottle of Amontillado, which I uh, put in there as a wink and a nod, hoping, you know, people uh, who read it and know the story will enjoy that. But as I... I'm doing the podcast and everything. Uh, I'm not going to give away all the Easter eggs. You have to actually hunt for them. But this one's pretty directly tied into this story. And it's a nod, uh, not just being cute about, you know, Amontillado uh, 47, but the fact that the scene is of two people ambling down a cold, dark beach instead of catacomb, but there is a very um, sneaky and uh, sinister let us say that Izzy acts very chummy, but not all the sharks are in the water, if you can dig it. Hmm. It is 4.05 a.m. Time is as it is. It's the 28th of April, possibly, I think. And uh, 
it is fun to record these. It gives me something to do, and uh, if nobody else hears them, uh, it is still good to uh, have my own bedtime stories. Uh, although, you know, some people might not want to be listening to this uh, or reading this story right before they go to sleep. So, in any case, I hope that this finds you well and safely quarantined and social distanced. I hope you have enjoyed uh, the cask of Amontillado. And if you want to reach me for anything or suggest other things that I might read on this podcast, you can find me on Twitter at Time of Posting. Be well, and zai gazan. Thank mm-hmm. you.